Carmen Pawn, Dan Diamond, uh, can I ask you both a question? Yes. Go for it. If you had to wait out the pandemic anywhere in the world, where would you? The first thing that comes to mind is Maldives, where I went a few years ago. But then looking back, you know, like it was beautiful, but it was a small island. And I think we got bored towards the fourth <laughs> day. So if I would have to stay there for two years, maybe that would not be the best one. Okay, <laughs> that, no. that would be pretty okay. tough. <laughs> I, okay, I got it. I would be I would be in Bali, ideally. It's it's bigger, Bali. more things to do and um, still an island. So hopefully it can still keep away the the coronavirus. I like that. All right, Dan, what do you got? Is this supposed to be hard? I mean, New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> they they are the one place in the world that you can walk around safely for months now uh, with, with only the mildest of coronavirus outbreaks. So I think that's where I'd want to be, not just for sanity, uh, but for safety. I, I, I'm surprised. I was about 90% sure you were going to say the set of The Bachelorette. I will never apologize for love. I'll apologize if I wasted your time. I'll apologize if I hurt you. But I'm not going to apologize for love. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, may, I may not be able to live that down. They do have a set there, but it's the set for The Hobbit. Oh, yeah. Uh, which I've wandered around. Which is which is another uh, an, another show of people being forced to live together in perhaps um, unusual <laughs> and uncomfortable ways. <laughs> I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is well. This this music's making me want to watch some Hobbit or Lord of the Rings movies. Anyways, this is Politico Dispatch, and today, Carmen Pawn and Dan Diamond on the state of the pandemic across the globe and how the U.S. response compares to what's being done in other countries. What is the state of coronavirus in the U.S. right now? It's bad, Jeremy. Uh, cases are spiking again nationally. The rise in the infection rate is rapidly filling hospitals in all but eight states, the exceptions being Hawaii, California, Arizona, Idaho, Wyoming, North Dakota, Georgia, and Vermont. We weren't able as a country to bring the threshold of new cases below about 40,000 cases per day. And at times recently, it's been up over 70,000 new cases per day. So we are heading into what looks like a potentially bad winter of more cases spreading as people are indoors, as we can't do uh, life outside the same way. I'm in Minnesota right now where it's been snowing. Uh, the first snowfall of the year always brings some excitement, maybe kind of a oh my gosh moment. Snowflakes fell across the Twin Cities from Bloomington to Maple Grove, Minneapolis, and St. Paul. And, and Midwestern states have been really hard hit in the past couple of weeks. They are hitting their highs of new cases. University of Michigan this week effectively threw in the towel on in-person student instruction. An emergency stay-at-home order has been issued for all undergraduate students. Washtenaw County health officials say students must stay in their homes and residence halls with few exceptions. And meanwhile, in states like New York and New Jersey, which were already hard hit, infections are starting to creep back up. So from a volume perspective, we're not in a great place. I will say the silver lining, such as it is, is that mortality, death rates from COVID have fallen, 
as it appears physicians are getting better at treating the disease. And there is some hope on the horizon, too, that therapeutics will continue to be rolled out that will help treat the disease, and vaccines will soon arrive that could really contain the spread of the virus. Carmen, what are cases like in other countries across the world? Are we seeing similar spikes to what we're seeing in the U.S.? Yes. The worst affected region of the world right now seems to be Europe. Countries across Europe are imposing tighter restrictions in the hope of slowing the spread of the coronavirus as cases continue to rise. Um, They are almost every day now. There are new restrictions announced in different countries. France has recorded a new high of 32,000 cases in a single day. Authorities there have brought in a curfew in major cities requiring all public spaces to be shut by 9pm. Ireland imposed a countrywide lockdown again. Um, Czech Republic is doing something similar. Um, So things are getting pretty bad again in Europe. Other regions um, seem to be doing a bit better. There have been decreases in Africa, in the Western Pacific, but overall the number of cases globally remains high. It's interesting what you're saying. You know, you said cases are rising, but then also when you're talking about Europe, there are new lockdown restrictions. That's not something I feel like we've been seeing in the U.S. despite the recent spikes in cases. How would you say other countries' responses right now compare to what's happening in the U.S.? And is there anything that you think America can learn here? I think it really depends because um, it has to be really related to the situation on the ground. If it's a cluster in a certain area that you can address without, you know, locking down the whole city or the whole state, that's probably the way to go. Um, Europe, I remember in, in May, I was writing already about experts looking at the second wave and they were actually hoping, for example, in Belgium, that they would be able to see where a cluster is happening and, you know, try to decrease transmission there without having to lock down the whole country again. And it looks like, unfortunately, they weren't really able to. Um, so I would say that there are probably similarities between between Europe and the United States. Obviously, overall, it looks like the United States has been more reluctant to impose lockdowns because of all the economic and social hardship that it brings. The lockdowns are doing tremendous damage to these Democrat-run states where they're locked down, sealed up, suicide rates, drug rates, alcoholism, death by so many different forms. You can't do that. Um, But in terms of being able to test, track cases, quarantine people that have been in contact with someone that was confirmed infected, it looks to me like both Europe and the United States have similar issues. Um, I was listening to... um, brief from the World Health Organization earlier this week. Hello, everybody. This is Fadira Shaib speaking to you from WHO headquarters in Geneva and welcoming you to our COVID-19 press conference today, Monday, 19 October. And they were actually comparing North America and Europe with Asia. There is an advantage in Asia. And again, I think communities in Asia Uh, do have higher levels of trust and compliance in government, and they've tended to be able to implement uh, for longer some of the measures that have been required of them in terms of their own behaviour. And they were saying that while many countries in Asia have been successful, like South Korea, or if you also consider um, New Zealand, is because they did early on try to look at these clusters and try to decrease transmission before it was hard to control before it had already spread 
to, you know, the whole city or the whole country. In Japan, they've really focused on cluster investigation. They've focused on really breaking clusters and learning from those clusters what's driving super spreading events in Japan. And what they also did, um, the WHO officials were saying, is that once they decreased transmission, they didn't just relax. They actually, you know, kept their facilities open. And every time there would be a new case, they would do a lot of tests and, and tracing of the contacts and trying to isolate them to make sure it doesn't, again, spread out of control. So the WHO says there's definitely stuff we can learn from other countries when it comes to controlling the spread. I mean, Dan, right now, even though there is a significant rise in cases in the U.S., we're not really seeing new restrictions at all. And the country's still struggling with things like contact tracing and, and getting people on board with the public safety measures we do have in place. What do you think this difference between what's happening here and happening elsewhere tells us about how the country is treating the pandemic? Jeremy, I think it tells us that we're having a very different conversation than the conversation in countries that have more successfully combated COVID. I was watching the prime minister debate uh, between the two leading candidates in New Zealand a few weeks ago. And this debate actually aired the same night as the first presidential debate between Joe Biden and President Trump. And in this New Zealand debate, the moderator asked both candidates, who I should say were both women, uh, asked what they would do if there was a coronavirus outbreak at Christmas time in one of the nation's big cities. Judith Collins, what <laughs> would you do if you were prime minister in that situation? Well, in that case, if there is a community outbreak and it's in Christchurch, you'd have to lock down Christchurch. And both candidates agreed, we have to lock down. We have to interrupt people's Christmas time because it's more important to protect the country, to impose these restrictions, to keep people alive. But I think you do have to put people's health first. And in but fact, one of the candidates, Jacinda Ardern, even said, I would do what I already did, which is move to lockdown. I would do exactly what I did in the real life scenario. We already had a resurgence plan and we activated it. And to split screen that against Joe Biden and Donald Trump being asked about shutdowns and Biden's answer being more in line with that approach and Donald Trump, meanwhile, arguing that shutdowns are a political attack on him. He wants to shut down the country. More people will be hurt by continuing. If you look at Pennsylvania, if you look at certain states that have been shut down, they have Democrat governors all. One of the reasons they're shut down is because they want to keep it shut down until after the election mm -hmm. yeah. on November 3rd. Because it's a political I mean, we're, we're just literally a world apart. What Republican governors in the states have had to deal with is not just their own challenge of trying to tamp down a public health problem, but the messaging very much on the right from conservatives, from people like Donald Trump, that locking down is anti-American, that it's against freedom. So we've seen a lot of Republican governors in boxes where they might want to do more, but they're constrained by the rhetoric around coronavirus. Dan Diamond, Carmen Pawn, thanks so much for talking with me. Thank you for having me. Jeremy and Carmen, great to be with you. Dan Diamond and Carmen Pawn are both part of Politico's tireless health team, which just launched a brand new newsletter authored by Carmen called Global Pulse that pulls back the curtain on the politics and policy driving global public health. You can find a link to Global Pulse in this episode's show notes. Also today, 
Joe Biden and President Trump are getting ready to take the stage together one last time in the final presidential debate tonight. It'll start at 9 o'clock Eastern in Nashville, Tennessee. And unlike last time, the candidates will have their mics muted during parts of the event to prevent interruptions after a chaotic first debate last month. The rule change has been criticized by Trump and his campaign, but the president says he will still participate. This comes after another debate scheduled for last week was canceled due to President Trump's coronavirus diagnosis, though both candidates held their own televised town hall events on the same night. And the independent watchdog for the U.S. Postal Service is criticizing the agency for a sweeping series of operational changes implemented by President Trump's postmaster general earlier this year. In a new report released in response to congressional requests, the USPS Office of Inspector General analyzed the cost-cutting measures Postmaster General Louis DeJoy put in place after assuming control of the agency in June. The watchdog found that USPS officials did not conduct any analysis of the service impacts of the measures and slammed the agency for the changes, saying they, quote, negatively impacted the quality and timeliness of mail delivery across the country. Subscribe to Politico Dispatch wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing, you can help us out in a couple ways by leaving a rating and review in your favorite podcast app and by telling a friend to check out the show. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.